Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. Allstate wants to remind fans that mayhem is everywhere. Like when your fantasy league meets up at your house. Everything's great until the hot plate gets too hot for the tablecloth. Now your kitchen's up in smoke. And if you don't have the right home insurance coverage, the cost to fix this is anything but a fantasy. So switch to Allstate, save money, and get protected from mayhem like this. Not available in every state. Based on coverage selected, subject to terms, conditions, and availability. Savings vary. Welcome to the Bike Radar Podcast, brought to you by the team behind BikeRadar.com, Cycling Plus, and MBUK magazines. If you enjoy this episode, please subscribe. And if you can do so, leave us a rating on your podcast provider of choice. It really helps us reach other cyclists like you. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Bike Radar podcast. My name is Simon von Bromley, a senior technical writer for BikeRadar.com and today I am thrilled to be joined by Ashley Quinlan, Bike Radar's senior technical editor. How are you doing, Ash? I'm very well, thank you. How are you? Excellent. Yeah, I'm great, thank you. We're here today to discuss whether it's possible to buy an affordable superbike. Now, we are well aware that everyone will have their own definition of what's affordable. So if what we talk about today doesn't match up with your own definition, you know, that's absolutely fine. I don't think either of us could probably afford any of these bikes we're going to talk about. I think maybe, as the test has been going to be called in the kind of magazine where it will be published in Cycling Plus, maybe it's better to talk about mid-range bikes, Ash. What do you think about that? Yeah, I think I think if we're talking specifically about the test that we've done of three bikes, um, absolutely. Uh, we should probably call it mid-range, uh, mid-range bikes rather than affordable. Um, I think that's probably fair. But it's worth noting that, you know, Brands tend to sell different tiers of carbon frames, which we'll talk about, and different you know builds, spec choices, etc. Um, which you know sit below the bikes that we've been testing, while there are others that sit above the bikes that we've been testing. So, you know, we'll we'll probably branch into a, a broader discussion around that as well as uh, you know hang it off what we're gonna the test that we did. Absolutely, and now so as Ash kind of mentioned there, Ash you recently did a, a kind of a group test of three uh, kind of nominally mid-range bikes, the Argon 18 Sun Pro, the Canyon Ultimate CF SL8, uh, SLX8, and the Scott Addict RC40. Now, these cost around four and a half to seven thousand pounds or dollars. So, you know, I mean, that, you know, that's, that's not really affordable, is it? But it is the kind of mid-range now. Let's start with the kind of most obvious the kind of the big the big question in in sense like what do you lose out compared to spending top dollar you know compared to spending ten thousand pounds on a canyon ultimate cfr with durace you know do do you noticeably lose out by stepping down to the kind of six thousand pound canyon ultimate cf slx well, before I answer that, I'll just I'll just sort of preface this by saying, you know, prices. We know we've mentioned it many times in this podcast. Prices have moved in the last uh, few years. They've, you know, inflation has meant and and supply issues out of COVID still remain. And so, what we're finding is that bike prices have kind of gone up and they've stayed up. 
Um, now that's obviously not great for the consumer. You know, if you're listening to this now saying that bike prices are just ridiculous and we're talking about maybe four and a half to seven grand, that kind of region, that used to be the top dollar you would pay for a top end race bike that you, you'd ostensibly see ridden on the pro scene. These days you could you know expect to end up paying 10, 11, 12, even more than that occasionally for the, the top spec bikes these days. Um, so first of all, we're not saying that that's a good thing, but you know it's just to take it with a pinch of salt and that you know prices have moved on sadly and we live in hope that they will fall again as supply um, and I suppose the market eases a little bit. So fingers crossed for that. To answer your question around whether or not you're losing out very much compared to say having a top spec CFR ultimate versus an SLX ultimate frame and and build. Um, I think that the bottom line is no, actually you're not. Um, what you're probably getting, um, and and this is evidenced by the testing that I've done, uh, is that you're probably getting a slightly easier ride in a sense, rather than something that's um, you know notably slower or notably faster whichever way you look at it. Um, it can be tempting to look at the top spec bikes and say, that's the one I want because clearly that's the best because it's the most expensive or it's the stiffest, it's the lightest um, and so on. But in reality, um, you know, we're not, we're not professional riders, you know, 99, in fact, 100% of people buying these bikes are not professional riders because professional riders don't buy these bikes. Um, and so, you know, it, it, you're not, you are losing you know, grams, you're losing the finest percentage points uh, in terms of performance, however you, you you quantify that, compared to, say, having a CFR versus having an SLX. As as you say, the kind of the, the highest price builds, you know, now we're in the era of electronic shifting, tend to just be lighter due to their kind of the lighter group sets, the slightly lighter wheels, the lighter frame sets, you know, we all know that you know brands love to talk about the modulus of the carbon fiber that they use in their kind of top tier frames. You know, we oh, this frame has ultra high modulus fibers, and whereas the mid range one has, you know, presumably you know high modulus fibers, maybe not ultra high modulus. What does that do for you in practice? Well, uh, naysayers or people, people, you know, skeptics is probably the best is the best phrase for this. Um, skeptics would say that ultra high modulus carbons and high modulus carbons, even versus say medium or standard, however you want to describe it, um, are more brittle. They're not as necessarily reliable. Um, you know, in the real world, when you ride a bike for ten years before you then change it, for example, something along those lines, you that's usually a common argument um in reality it's probably not an issue for most people you know we're not we're not we might be testing them and say the the cobbles of Paris Roubaix if you go and do the sportive over there in the spring for example but you're not doing it at anywhere near the kind of speed or you know the forces applied that pros are going to be putting into the bike and they seem to manage so you know i i there's bike handling issues within that as well but i do think that you know, you're not you're not losing out very much, and you're probably gaining a little bit more as well. Like though, Canyon when I attended the ultimate launch, we'll use that as an example here. But Canyon when I attended the ultimate launch, reckoned that the SLX was actually the best kind of balance of performance to the weight that it could offer at the time, and that you'd actually get a more so a steadier kind of more compliant ride the geometry is exactly the same aside from the very smallest um, frames that are available, I believe. Um, I think there's an extra one available for the CFR. In any case, 
the frame has the same geometry. You know, they ride almost exactly the same, except that you tend to feel a little bit less like you're getting um, buzz from the road when you ride the SLX versus the CFR. Now, I don't know about you, Simon, but I appreciate that. That's absolutely fine. And when, when you consider that the difference in the builds is what overall 500 600 grams maybe maybe a touch more when you consider the extreme build of the cfr that i had on test last year you know it's it's not making a blind bit of difference to your overall speed i can't tell based on my strava files or my garmin files i can't see where i'm really gaining anything meaningful um and from my point of view and most people's point of view unless you're racing up a hill climb and you're being measured on on how fast you go like a professional rider um a second or two or even five seconds up a climb isn't making a blind bit of difference you can't feel that you can't tell that because of the amount of suffering you've just gone through before to get up there as fast as you could anyway um so i it's probably it's it's from in my point in my opinion it's extremely likely to almost undoubtedly true that it's slightly faster to have a top-end bike with a top-end carbon frames, you know, the, the stiffest and the lightest carbon, slightly faster. But you've got to balance that with what is it you want from your ride. And if it's a little bit smoother and more comfortable, you know, I know I'll benefit from that and ride faster over a longer period of time if that's the case. So, you know, it's it's really just being critical when you're asking, you know, what it is do I want from a road bike? What is it I want to get out of my cycling? Then you can start to make an educated decision about whether or not it's worth it for you to throw in big, big, big money on a top-end bike versus something that's kind of mid-range and has, you know, um, a little bit more compliance or just feels a little bit easier to ride. Yeah, I mean, I definitely agree. And it, it's funny because I, um, I have two giant TCRs. I have an old 2009 Advanced SL uh, rim brake giant TCR and that's the kind of you know that the advanced SL model was the highest end one that they made then and I have a 2021 advanced pro which is the mid-range one from uh, a disc brake model from 2021 as I, as I just said and um, you know, every time I get back on the old one and it, it's this isn't really an apples for apples comparison of course because you know the, the other one is you know 2009 you know, I, I, I'm sure carbon fiber technology has moved on since then, but that 2009 one has, you know, rectangular tubes and, you know, fork legs that are not, you, you know, they're not, everything on that bike is built for stiffness. You know, there was no consideration for, other than the kind of, you know, the nice aero integrated seat post, there was not really any consideration for aerodynamics with it. Um, whereas, and as a result, it's just, you know, otherworldly stiff. uh and it's really uncomfortable you know especially through the handlebars it's really uncomfortable now in in comparison the 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 2021 advanced pro is a much smoother bike now you know that that's partly because it can fit you know wider tires but you know the difference between running a you know a 28 gp 5000 on my 2021 giant tcr and then you know a 20 a 25 on the old one you know in terms of tire sizes you know we're all well aware of the difference that can make and it and it you know it it's it's, it's notable notable but it's not enormous for for someone like me who's fairly lightweight but the the frame set stiffness is just unbelievable and um you know as a result you know i never i never really ride the the old one even though you know yeah it's technically well actually i'm building them up I built them up because I'm doing a hill climb this weekend and I actually think I'm going to end up riding the kind of slightly heavier 
disc brake one because it's more aerodynamic and it's a fairly shallow climb uh even though it's kind of you know 600 grams heavier i just think it's a, it's that smoothness is 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 kind of you know in a choice like in a literal choice between the two i always pick the smoother one you know and, and so i think that's quite instructive yeah i think so um yeah, I couldn't agree more. And the, the fact is that, I mean, okay, again, using Canyon as an example, they're probably at the extreme end where they offer three different frame set um, carbon layups for their frames. There's also the Ultimate SL version. Most brands tend to offer two. Uh, so Scott with the Addict RC, they offer two as well as the HMX SL at the very top end where you buy the Ultimate Spec bike. So that's the super lightweight carbon, super, you know, with the same amount of stiffness in, I believe. At least that's the that's what they tell us. Um, and then you've got the HMX carbon, which is kind of the second tier level carbon, um, which is applied to the rest of the Addict RC range. Meanwhile, there's also um, oh, I've forgotten the name of it now, but there's is HM and another letter at the end S- of it for HMS SL or something, is it? <laughs> possibly HMR, yeah. HM. But you know, they've like all that. got their they've all got their codes for them, haven't they? They do, they do, and ultimately they they come out the same few factories, you know, over in Taiwan or wherever it's made, and and so you know you're getting the same sort of thing as how they lay it up and put it together that really gives you um, differences. But again, it's worth noting these differences aren't exactly night and day between them. Um, you know, you're not gonna you know, some frame set laps these days are, are based around trying to shave weight wherever possible, optimizing tube shape. Specialized is very good at doing this. At least they, they would say they would claim that they are, that they optimize the tube shape so they don't have to have as much carbon. But other brands are also jumping on that bandwagon as well and saying that they're cutting weight because they, they're just doing more research into tube shapes that so it can bear loads better. But that's a general design point. Again, regards to Canyon, whether you go for CFR, SLX or SL, it's the same tube shapes. They're the same fundamental engineering structures that are put together, giving you this, giving you similar levels of, you know, stiffness and compliance and ride quality. Um, but you know, you, you're just you're just sacrificing a little bit of weight. And as we've said multiple times on this podcast, um, you know, weight is certainly not the be all and end all. It's nice to have, or at least nice not to have, um, but. <laughs> it's not the be all and end all. There are other factors at play that are going to, I think, improve your ride experience, but also make you faster if speed ultimately is your goal. Yeah, I think when we come to talking about um, super bikes, for example, um, I think, you know, just like we talked about with, with affordability at the start of this this uh, podcast, you know, everyone's going to have ultimately their own definition of what a super bike is, what makes a bike a superbike to you and and for me i kind of think that the um there's an element of a, a cust- customization that makes a bike distinct from just something off the peg um so it is you know is is having a superbike about prioritizing what kind of each of us thinks is important you know individually rather than just kind of you know shopping for something completely off the peg I, uh, do you know, uh, my personal take on this, it, it depends to a large degree how vain you are and whether, you know, and I don't mean that in a negative way or disparaging way to anyone who's listening, but just the, the vanity element of having the brand that you want to ride or the bike that you want to ride, when maybe you should be on a different style of bike. Maybe you should be on an insurance bike versus a road race bike, for example. But, you know, we all have 
we all have you know we bury them as as professionals we bury them and we don't we don't necessarily let we do not let them affect our our work daily work but we all have brands that we have we feel more attuned to than others for example uh, when we're buying products we think oh that one looks nice or that one doesn't look nice but looks really if you you know when you're on the bike you can't see it you know <laughs> it's the same as driving a car at the end of the day you you, you drive around i can't see well, how i look on the outside or how good the car looks on the outside i only see it as i approach it so you know, there are things like that, 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 you know, you have to decide how important it is to you to have the bike that in your mind that you want versus the bike that you possibly should have. But that's a conundrum that everyone has to face when they're buying a new road bike and mountain bike for that matter. And in terms, you know, so for me, I think that the Canyon looks like a really great bike, but, and, and, and I, and I love, you know, kind of what they do, but the the way that they have gone recently with the kind of increasing amounts of proprietary parts uh, integration, for example, especially with the front end, just means I I just couldn't buy one because I wouldn't be happy with the stock setup. And because the you know the way the ultimate and now the, in the air road as well before it works is that you have to use that proprietary cockpit, and and I just don't want to be tied into that. Not no not because it's you know a bad performing cockpit or anything like that. It's just that's just not what I like. Um, so what about what about the other bikes? What about the Argon 18 Pro and the Scott uh, Addict RC, for example? You know, how, mu- how much customization did those bikes offer? And, you know, how do you think that affects the kind of, you know, your kind of perception of them? I think the, the, the Scott Addict RC40 or the Addict RC platform and the Argon 18 Sun Pro are more uh, upgradable, more switchable than the Canyon one. The Canyon one locks you into its kind of quill style stem, I believe, and um, and just the way it's all laid out, you have to have the Canyon cockpit that comes with it, so it locks you in. So if you're not happy with that and you do want to change it, if you're you know like yourself, Simon, it doesn't bother me so much, but it does. I know, I know for you, Simon, it's it's a it's a factor. Then you arguably want to be looking elsewhere as something that has a bit more of a standard setup at the front. Scott's is very, very neat and tidy um, and does offer you some uh, some changeability, I, I believe, some swappability. It's fairly neat. It's also a two-piece setup as well, so in, in this particular bike. So it roots everything internally, but it's still a two-piece setup. So you could just change the bar, for example, for another one, and you should be able to you know, switch things up fairly, fairly easily there. Um, but the Argon 18 is a, is a standard FSA setup at the front with a, it's ACR internal cable routing. So still internal routing, still a level of complication here that is some people may not wish, wish to have. I know, I know our, um, our video presenter, Liam, Liam Carhill believes that, uh, every bike should come with a two-piece setup and external routing, you know, that's fine. That's fine. And that, and so, you know, he, the bikes that he owns have that because that's what, that's what he deems to be the best solution for him. And, and, and that, that makes a super bike for him. Um, so yeah, I mean, to, to sort of bring it all the way back a little bit to the original question around, uh, you know, what is a super bike? It, to be honest, it's, it's, it's what, you want to have out of a bike um and if you look at your bike and i've said this before on the podcast on completely different subject but if you look at a bike and it makes you smile and it's the one that you want and you know it's the bike that that really works for you and allows you to get the most out of your cycling whatever that may mean to you then you rightly should be proud of that bike and that's your super bike rather than you know the marketing term of super bike being just bikes that pros ride or even bikes that pros don't ride because they're too light or or you know they don't conform to the UCI regulations 
Yeah, uh, you know, uh, just to kind of expand on on why this that kind of level of front end customization is so important to me. I'm a, I'm a big, you know, I've never had a bike fit, but I'm a big believer in having a bike that you feel fits you really well. And while the Canyon handlebar does offer adjustable whips now, which is nice, um, if you want to swap the stem length, which I always do because I've got, you know, if you've ever seen a picture of me riding a bike, I've got a really long upper body relative mm-hmm. to my to my leg length. So I'm always running a stem that's, you know, 120 mil plus, you know, depending on the frame set, obviously the reach. Um, and, and in order to do that on the Canyon, you know, it's very complicated. You've got to get a replacement handlebar. It's not entirely clear how much that costs, whether you yeah. can actually get one, like what stem lengths are offered with what bar whips, et cetera, like when it would be delivered. And so, so for me, that that's, that's really important. Um, you know, we, we've had bike fit conversations with James, what's his James name? Thomas. James, James Thomas. James Thomas. Yeah. The wonder- Richmond in London. Yeah. The wonderful James Thomas. And, and, you know, obviously that, that, you know, you and I had a conversation with him on this podcast a while back, you know, you should go look for that. If you haven't listened to it, it's, it's, it's really good. It's a good listen. Yeah. Um, yeah, how important is, is bike fit to you in making a bike feel like a super bike, Ash? It's, it's, it's very important to me because I was injured, um, 18 months ago, again, something we've covered on the podcast previously. And, uh, James was, is my bike fitter. It's how we became connected. And so, you know, he, he guessed it on the podcast, you know, it's, it's important to me because I know I can't operate outside a certain window of fit, um, but I also know that I can work with some, you know, quite a range of of reach, for example. Whereas Simon, I know you like to have a certain reach for your because because of your body dimensions. For me, I can work within having a, a shorter reach or a longer reach, and I don't necessarily I can absorb that. But what matters most is my saddle interaction and everything else uh, that's going on, sort of hips and below. Basically, I need to get that right. So that I'm always looking at. Um, uh, seat tube angles and uh, whether this, I can have a, an inline seat post rather than a setback seat post um, and how easy that is to change. So that's more important to me sort of further back down the bike than it is further up the front of the bike, if you know what I mean. I can kind of fold to fit the front, whereas the back I need to I need, I need to work with it a little bit more to get the right fit uh, for, you know, for power application and general seated comfort, all that stuff. So... As you say, you've never had a bike fit. I've now had two um, over the years I've been riding. And again, I've said before, I wouldn't, I'd highly recommend them. And actually that's, I would say, if you're going to, if you're saying I've got a budget of say, and I'm going to pluck a number out of thin air here, £6,000, I would say take between 500 and and £1,000 of that as a block investment and say, I'm putting that towards bike fitting and maybe some component changes, for example, and then spend five grand on the bike that generally works for you and maybe get the bike fit first so you get that bike decision right. Because if you know you've got that bike decision right based on consulting with someone else rather than going with a gut feeling, that can really help you feel like you've got the right bike for you. Um, So then you end up spending five grand or four grand on a bike knowing that you've got a little bit of money left over to get it right for you. Um, And that's probably preferable to going all in for a more expensive bike um, or the best deal uh, that you can find online. Canyon's been very good at this in the past as a good example, but you can end up buying that bike and find it doesn't quite fit you properly. Um, and then it's, as you say, it's not quite so easy then to find or cheap to then get replacement parts for it. So yeah, it's it, it really depends how 
specific you feel you need to be with your bike fit. But as you say, you're a big fan of it. I've, I'm an evidenced point that I think it works and it's helped me recover from an injury before now as well as buy the right bike fundamentally, uh, latterly. So, you know, it's... I, th- I think I think it's a it's a kind of a decision you've got to weigh up and see it as a whole pot of money, and say how am I going to divvy this out? Get the bike first and upgrade later, or change bits later, or go all in at the start because I know exactly what my bike fit is. Yeah, and I think you make a good point about um, getting getting the bike fit before you kind of make a decision about which bike you want because it's all very well you know say looking at a bike and seeing it oh i think that looks fantastic but something like the uh, argon 18 sun pro for example i believe that has a very aggressive geometry and so yeah you know if you're just not as flexible or if you're not flexible enough to ride that bike that that could be a real problem yeah it can it can be and it's not the only one that we you know this is an issue that i've had with recently the ridley falcon rs uh, that we reviewed that i reviewed you know a couple of cycling plus issues ago it is now it's on bikeradar.com as well you can go and read that you know they're, they're both really fast racy bikes but you know they're very low at the front end and you've got to ask yourself you know can you survive in that position is that position w- workable for you i'll be honest with you i don't think it is workable for me and i'm relatively flexible and fit like i don't think i'd want to live with that even if i just had it for like 40 50k rides and that's all i ever did i still don't think that's the kind of that's the kind of sort of fit that I want to be living with. Um, and so that has impacts on handling as well. Of course it does. But, you know, it's in order to, you know, have the the best bike for you, again, it comes back to having the bike that fits for you. And so you may actually find that a bike that costs half the amount of money as another bike is actually a better, and I'm going to use inverted commas here, super bike for you uh, because it fits you better. Let's kind of talk about uh, mid-range components then. Mm. Um, you know, we, we kind of have already touched upon them uh, at the start, but you know, we're talking about the, the bikes that you tested in this kind of little, little group test had things like SRAM Force, Axis, all the Shimano Ultegra DI2 and mm. uh, Shimano 105 DI2. Now, these are all significantly cheaper than your SRAM Reds, Shimano Durace, you know, Campagnolo, Super Record, wireless um how does the performance of those group sets compare to that to those you know top end group sets you know i think they're you know a durace group set is probably twice the price of an Ultegra group set at street value right but like in terms of you know getting a canyon ultimate with durace versus Ultegra, you're i mean how much are you adding is it sort of two and a half grand something like that that's the ballpark yeah yeah, so I mean, you can. There's a bit of a crossover with. Again, we're talking about Canyon, but there's a bit of a crossover. But all brands do this. Yeah, where you have you could have the top spec frame with say Ultegra Di2, but they could also offer the middle spec frame with Durace um, Di2. That can happen occasionally. So you you either put your money in the group set or you put your money in the frame set, and you're given that choice, which can complicate things. To be fair. Yeah, so just to sort of, you know, we'll quote the Scott as well. The Scott is around £4,500 with uh, 105 DI2. But if you went for Ultegra DI2, that's going to cost you £6,199. But you do also get a wheel upgrade um, with that particular build. So you're yes. kind of looking at, you know, it's it's quite a significant step up in price when you, you know, you go between these group sets. You know, is there any reason, you know, in your opinion, that you would ever you know, pump up that extra cash for a SRAM Red group set or a Shimano Durace group set or a Campagnolo Super Record group set over Force, 
or Tegra. You'll see there isn't a chorus EPS wireless, sadly. <laughs> Maybe uh, one day. But do you know what I mean? Like a mid, you know, would you ever plump for a high-end group set or a top of the range group set over a mid-range one, like the ones on test? Uh, I can only speak for me and my own money. No, I wouldn't. Um, I've ridden all uh, all those all those three levels of your, of um, Shimano group sets that you've mentioned. The latest ones. I've also ridden all three of the latest um, SRAM uh, SRAM ETAP or Axis, depending on where it is in this product upgrade cycle. Um, group sets as well um so i've not ridden the latest you know campagnolo group set but then you know they don't have so many tiers beneath it at the moment that are directly comparable so we'll skip campag for now but the reality is that when it comes to shimano and duration one and duration altegra altegra is offering you almost i well in fact identical performance aside from the weight so again it depends how much weight it matters to you if it doesn't then I shall be. I'll be totally honest. If I turn up to a group, you know, I turn up to a group ride my local club or my friends, I see someone on Dura Race Di Two, I see someone else on Ortega Di Two. The knowing, sort of knowledgeable nod, you know, calling myself knowledgeable here, but the knowing nod and the acknowledgement will go to the person who's bought Ortega Di Two because I know they've made the smarter purchase decision there, regardless of how much budget you've got. Um, the same at the moment applies to Force and Red. I'd say the you know Force Axis group set because it's recently been updated because Shimano uh, so excuse me SRAM does things the other way they tend to go with the sort of mid range you know, update the mid range stuff first and then do racy stuff later you know that's their track record of of how they've updated products it's it's a, at the moment I think it's a fundamentally better group set than Red in my opinion again it it isn't quite so shiny. Uh, you could say, and um, it's not as light. I get that. That's fine. Uh, but again, it's about, you know, do you want the shiny, shiny and the the, the the vanity, shall we say, of having the top spec group say, or can you just accept that, that, that all things being equal, having it is making you only a tiny, tiny, tiny bit faster, if, if at all, to be honest. If you're on the flat, I don't think it's making any difference at all to you. Um, so, yeah, I, I, with my own money, I never opt for uh, the top spec group sets now, especially now electronic shifting is here. It used to be that uh, with say um, mechanic a mechanical group set with rim brakes, it used to be you could feel the difference. Um, the cables, some you know, for jaw race for example, was somehow a little bit smoother operating than Altegra, um, and it just felt a little crisper. The action, the ratchet action, action in the lever just felt a little bit crisper. So they were there were tangible differences in my opinion, but now there absolutely isn't. There just isn't, and it, it, it's it's the fact of where we are now. You're paying for shaving some weight, and that's about it, and possibly some longevity with it, possibly. Yeah, I I, I agree one hundred percent, and and I think you're really paying for the shiny aspect. You know, it's a real it's a heart overhead choice to go with Dura Ace or SRAM Red. Um, and that's not to say it's a, it's a bad choice, you know, like if, if you can afford it, of course, you know, everyone has the right to buy whatever they want. Of I course. think in pure performance terms, you know, there's basically no difference, you know, like I, this is really sad, but ahead of this hill climb at the weekend, you know, I was kind of using power versus speed calculators on, you know, little online tools that allow you to kind of punch in numbers and see what differences make. And you know, a, di- a weight difference of sort of 500 grams on a 5% climb is worth about one watt. Yeah. So, 
you know, like which is within the kind of accuracy within well within the the accuracy range of your of of even the best power meters. You know, if you're riding up a hill at 250 watts or whatever, you know, that's an undetectable, literally undetectable difference in the real world. You know, you wouldn't be able to detect that going back to back. Now, you know, it's not to say it's not there. You know, one watt is one watt, and and if you really care about your results and 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 your you know your kind of hill climbing or your you know whatever you know it's a it's a what it it does exist um and you know that's going to be it's going to be it's going to be worth more on a really steep hill right so if you really care about your hill climbs and you do a lot of steep hills then you know maybe it's going to be worth the difference well, you know that's that's going to be up to everyone else but i think yeah the difference is is really about looks and it used to be a big thing i you know i think the difference between the way sram red looked or looks and the difference between the old SRAM force or it and the old SRAM force was really big. And I thought the old SRAM force uh, axis was not a particularly good looking group set. It looked quite plasticky, but I think the newer one looks much better. And um, particularly the new chain set, whilst I am loathe to, you know, recommend integrated chain rings. Yeah, it, um, is, it is one of the, one of the foibles of, of their design. Uh, yeah, for sure. It, it does that chain set does look fantastic you know it's essentially a kind of painted black version of the uh polished silver sram red uh chain set so i think that's a really good looking group set and yeah the kind of performance you know for, for when your hands are on the hood and you're shifting you know between ultegra di2 shimano di2 same with the braking you know i think you, you know you mentioned mechanical group sets earlier and i think one of the the, the areas where you could really feel the difference between say you know, Shimano 105 and Ultegra and then Shimano Dura-Ace was the the brakes were always the best at the Dura-Ace level. I think the arms were just stiffer and you felt like you had a lot more power. Um, but that's just not the case really anymore. Yes, the, you know, Ultegra and Dura-Ace have servo wave tech, which makes a little bit of difference. But to be honest, it's quite easy to forget that it's there. <laughs> yeah, I can vouch <laughs> you know, yeah. yeah, so... <laughs> Even dropping down to you know Shimano 105 hydraulic braking is really good. And to be honest, you know if you want more braking power, you're going to feel way more difference from upgrade, upgrading to a kind of 160 mil rear rotor from a 140 than you would by upgrading to you know a set of Ultegra or Dura-Ace brakes and levers with servo wave tech. It's a really tricky one. Yeah, no, it, it is it, it is tricky because you're you know as I say you're always having that kind of conflict between you know, the, the the brand name and the, the thing you want versus the thing that you necessarily need. But we are at a, at a point now where, you know, electronic shifting has kind of equalized performance across the range. Like, I'm going to extend this and say that although I would poss- probably put my own personal money in Altegra, 105DI2 offers you, let's say nominally, 98, 99% of the performance at Altegra does it's still super crisp shifting there was nothing wrong with it in the first place even though the latest generation Altegra and Dura-Ace has got faster at the front derailleur there's nothing wrong with it anyway you get all the latest wireless you know tech from from the levers down to down to the the sort of self-contained system uh, beneath it um, and as you say braking is as a, a you know curiously I found that I could notice it when I moved um, moved to a bike with it and I, I'd never miss it when I went to a 105 Di2 bike without it. You know, it's the opposite of the heart, you know, the absence makes, makes the heart grow fonder. Let's kind of move on, you know, let's move back to the kind of little group test you did, Ash, and and let's just kind of talk about the the, 
the specific bikes a little bit. What was your favorite bike on test and why? Uh, the, my favorite bike on test was, was the Canyon Ultimate, as it happens, um, recognizing, of course, that there'll be those that want a more easily upgradable pathway and the fact that Canyon doesn't offer you that, you know, almost no, in fact, it offers you no flexibility in terms of spec choice when you buy it at, you know, uh, at points of purchase. So you have to buy things after aftermarket and it's not entirely clear how you do, although I try to make it as clear as possible in the review. The, yeah, it, it won because I think it offers you everything the CFR offers you, just at slightly more weight, but with um, less, uh, just just a little bit less of a rough ride, fee- feeling ride, which is just a positive in my view. There's, there's no downside to that. Um, it's and I was able to do some back-to-back testing because I have a CFR as a as a sort of a test rig at the moment that will go back to Canyon very soon. It you know I have a I have that test rig and I'm able to sort of do head-to-head testing and it you know they ride almost almost the same and the handling is almost exactly the same aside from a slightly more whip sharp when you're out of the saddle with the CFR underneath you. But you know you you could easily describe that as being more nervous. Because you have to have you have a lighter touch at, at the bars, and if you're not that kind of rider who's just got you know very good bike handling skills, and actually having something a bit more stable underneath you is is a is a is a nicer thing to have. You know, I think I enjoyed riding the SLX more than I do the the, the CFR. So, yeah, it, for, for that particular test, it won the Argon eighteen. You know, if you have to rank them, came third, but that's just because it's so specific. You know, we're talking about a super bike here, not a specific race bike, and that means that. You know, it has its plus points. And if you want, a, a friend of mine described these kinds of bikes as point and shoot racers. If you want a bike like that, then yeah, absolutely. That Ridley Falcon RS, fill your boots, go and have a look at those, make sure you're flexible enough and can handle the fit. Um, but for, for most people that we're talking to, most of our audience, possibly not the, be- the best choice among the three that I had. And the Scott Addict RC actually is a testament to a design that seems to have aged very well. There's nothing. There's nothing outwardly wrong with it, aside from the fact that it's got quite narrow tire clearance, which is just a hangover from the fact that it was just developed in what over the period of 2017, 2018, and launched in 2019. Um, so you could argue it's due uh, an update. Um, we'll keep our eyes peeled for that. You could argue that, but it's you know at the end of the day, if you're not if you're not thinking you want to run 32 millimeter tires on your on your superbike and you're happy to run you know 28 maybe 30 at a push if you can squeeze it in there then you know it's just as good as any other bike if you're not going to be taking your superbike out in the winter <laughs> then then you don't need all that all that extra clearance and space for the muck and and, and, and the stuff that you get off the roads so yeah it and, and that road you know relatively similarly i would say um so it's it's just a, a slightly aged design that doesn't offer ultimate flexibility across the board um yeah so that sort of came in the middle but it's still one of the best race bikes in isolation that you could buy today yeah and, and I, I think yeah, on you know looking at the i haven't ridden uh, either of those the kind of canyon cfr or the cfslx but i think one of the things that is most interesting about you know the review is just just thinking about that point of how kind of 
specialist, the the kind of build of the CFR you have is it's got kind of you know hill, basically hill climbing wheel set with time trial tires, you know, weight weenie parts. And, you know, it's all, it is incredibly light. I think it's uh, 6.2, 6.3 kilos without pedals, something like that. Yeah, in a size large, 56. Yeah, yeah. but the CF SL8, uh, SLX8 build is much more well-rounded. And, um, uh, yeah, I, you know, obviously, I, I think as someone who isn't a weight weenie uh, like the the kind of uh, the mid-range build that's more well-rounded i think appeals to me and i think it's generally going to suit more people you know you're going to get more out of that so i think it's a really interesting one uh because it's you know substantially cheaper as well you also say something similar about the addict as well and i'd like to say this because we talked a lot about the canyon and i think that the scott addict we you mentioned earlier you could also have one for about 1500 pounds more with ultegra di2 and a carbon wheel upgrade versus the alloy wheel that you get on the rc40 that i tested um again if if you want a one hit wonder and you don't want to be swapping wheels over all the time i.e., you don't want to take this frame in the winter and you just want to have it as a as a summer bike and you've got another cheaper whatever it is winter bike that you rely upon in the winter or you don't ride in the winter at all you just ride indoors then actually going all in on the one hit is possibly a good thing to do the prices are not that different you know between canyon and scott with the with the addict rc they're not that different um uh slightly cheaper for the canyon i believe like pound for pound but like you know it's not it's not a huge amount and if if the geometry is going to suit you a little bit better then great then that's the one you should be having and you know it's if you need a just considering whether you need a one hit wonder or whether you're happy to have a a sort of a cheaper build and then add to it later or maybe you happen to be sitting on a decent set of wheels that you want to use on this bike and you're happy to you know then that's also a factor as well for those who are already sort of initiated in this kind of area of of road cycling so yeah well thank you very much for listening if you have any comments or questions about this test you can of course drop us an email at podcast at bikeradar.com or leave a comment on one of ash's excellent reviews on bikeradar.com and we will get back to you as soon as possible if you haven't already don't forget to subscribe to this podcast for more episodes like this and if you're feeling very kind do leave us a review on your podcast platform of choice as that helps us reach more people thank you very much for joining me ash no worries and we'll see you all next time Thanks for listening to the Bike Radar Podcast. If you've not done so already, please subscribe and share with your friends or leave us a rating if you've enjoyed this episode.